to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. It's a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, Joel again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with my friend Bob and Jim, and we are talking Picard. Uh, we had the first episode last week that we presented with just Bob and I, but Jim's here, and so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about episode one and episode two today, because Jim wasn't here to talk about episode one. Also, I kind of want to talk a little bit about episode one. Uh, because episode one, the main scene that, that of course, Bob and I talked about a lot last week was uh, when, and Bob's going to help me with her name again. What's the girl's name? Dodge. Dodge. When Dodge uh, activates and then takes on the room full of guys in blind with the, with the uh, uh, covering over her face and takes out everybody without ever taking that. I thought that was brilliant. I've, you know, you watch action scenes and you're like, how are they going to ever you know, make a new concept for an action scene and having the person with the hood on fighting the entire, because usually they fight, they, the first thing they do is they punch somebody or something and then they pull the hood off and then fight without the hood, right? But in her case, she does the entire fight with the hood on just going by, by sound of where they're at and shooting them and that sort of thing. But I was just going to say with her activation, I feel like, uh, I didn't feel like this until yesterday, but I feel like I am now activated as well because, uh, I had my first vaccine uh, a while ago. And then on April Fool's Day, they told me to come back and get my second vaccine. I said, are you joking? But they weren't joking. They wanted me to come back on April Fool's Day. So I got my second dose. And now I feel like I'm fully activated and I feel much uh, safer at uh, my work and that sort of thing. And so I hope everybody is out there getting their vaccinations and getting yourself activated uh, like Dodge. And then uh, just don't get killed like like Dodge does. But anyway. <laughs> what a coincidence. I got my second shot on April Fool's Day as well. So. Did you really? I did. Wow. We didn't even plan that out. That's yeah. awesome. So so you, my friend, are activated as well. Bob, unfortunately, is not activated, I don't believe. Have you had either shot? Um, Tuesday, I get my first. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Good for you, man. So hopefully, we'll all be here next year to keep on doing our podcast. Oh, hopefully, gee, that's, that's uplifting. <laughs> um, you know, the thing about her, her, her fighting with the hood on, though, she's probably got, you know, LIDAR or, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking just visual, having to have visual things. But, you know, being, a, being an Android like that, she can have all sorts of other mechanisms right. for knowing what's going on around her without you know, physically seeing things. Right. Co and correct. But I just made a cool looking, cool scene. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. And uh, what's, what Bob and I were talking about was we really liked her character. I mean, the, develop, I mean she's very short. She's not developed. Uh, she doesn't have much time, screen time, but we just loved her and, and just loved that she was, and then she comes and seeks Picard and the whole thing with Picard and the fight that they have uh, on the steps is just, awesome with all the people coming in and her trying to keep him safe and keep her safe and the whole thing. Um, and then to have her just be gone 
uh, sure, we get a chance to run into her sister and all of that, but her sister, I, <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's like I never quite have the feelings I do for Dodge, for her sister, but it's the same actress. It's <laughs> just the way it's written or something. And uh, I'm just like, wow, that's pretty amazing that she pulls off two people that feel like they're two different people when it's, a, you know, the same actress pulling off both. That's that's true. I never really thought about that. But yeah, yeah you, you feel completely different about her her twin sister role that she plays than, than you do about this one. Yeah, Right. Uh, Dodge, I find myself longing for, oh, I wanted more of her. I wish I wish she would have been alive and been able to, to go on this adventure with Picard, which eventually Dodge does, but sort of, but it's just, and not Dodge, I mean, the, the other, her sister, but it's strange and different. So, yeah. I think part, uh, of, her, part of her character is a little more, I don't say innocent. She doesn't know what's going on exactly. Yes. Maybe that's part of it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Never well, quite. It really pulls us into her in that the very first scene we see with her, She's kind of, you know, they're, they're obviously in love. She's got this person she really cares about. And then to see that person just killed so quickly. I mean, the death, like I told Bob, it wasn't like they shot him with the disintegrator ray and he just disappears. This is throwing a knife. He's got blood coming out. He's, he's just dead. And, you know, and, we, and it just somehow made an instant connection with me and that character and really caring about that character because someone she loved just died in front of us. And then with the whole us getting used to Picard again, and she almost becomes like where you get sucked in like, oh, this is me. This is my window into this. My window is more through her than it is Picard. Picard still seems like a really old dude who would not be me, but be the guy that's in charge and, and uh, you know, the admiral type. And, and her is more like, where and I'm sure I should be sympathizing more with Picard with my age, but whatever. <laughs> um, but it just losing her just just was kind of a little bit of a of a whack in the face. And then we go into episode two, and I'll jump us into episode two really quick. Uh, I love the beginning of the, uh, just the action that happens in episode one is fantabulous, and then in two, the fact that it starts off on the Mars, and we get to see what happened. We've heard about the Mars thing a little bit in the previous episode with Picard talking about it, but now we get to experience it firsthand, and just to see the way that they're treating their androids, the racism that they that they use, and then the androids turn on them and and kill everybody. It, it, and how efficient the androids are at it, it reminds you of, of Data again and how efficient he could be. Whenever they made Data be a bad guy, he was a really efficient bad guy who could just kill, dispatch people quite well and protect himself quite well. It reminded me of the, there's a, a Next Generation episode, I'm not re remembering which one it is, but it's where Data gets compromised somehow and he's just going and... and uh, disabling parts of the ship. He puts a, a code on the destruct. It's just impossible to get by. He's, he's like making different uh, uh, dividers in the ship appear to protect him. So they can never shoot. Every time anybody gets a shot at him, he's put up a force field there. And so they couldn't get to him. It's like he pre-planned all of this out so well that no one ever gets a shot at him. He just gets to do whatever he's going to do. He just walks, essentially walks through the ship and never has to worry about anybody because every time he walks anywhere, he's protected by force fields all around him. And uh, it just was brilliant. And in this uh, episode to see how efficient these androids are is just 
scary because it looks like they almost have the jump on the end, the one Android and he takes out everybody. And it's just a crazy, great scene. Um, well, I, think it, I think it was, was only just the one Android. The others, I don't think we're really self-aware. I, I, at least that was well, my no, understanding. No, I don't they, think they so weren't really self-aware. Because what they said was over the intercom, it says that the androids, plural, are, are uh, they've lost control of them and they're, they're uh, doing things. So, that, so it's not just the, the one we follow is, is the one android only, right? And right. Okay. So, so but it sounds like all over the place, all the androids were doing the same thing, killing everybody around them and things. It's just somebody yeah. somewhere on the ship got out of like an emergency thing that said the androids are, you know, going crazy or whatever. And so, and this was our window into it was just this one Android that we saw in this one room, which I think was a good way to do it because we could sort of, you immediately got an understanding of how these people relate to each other, how they relate to the Android. And that's a short scene. And yet they get across a lot of, um, there's camaraderie amongst the, the crew and joking around with each other. And yet all kind of bash on the, on the Android as being lesser than them and so forth. Um, and so I, I thought it worked out really well, but no, my understanding was that all the androids were going nuts uh, all over the place. And that's why everybody got wiped out. I don't think one Android would have been able to do everything, but anyway. Well, I mean, didn't they, they, they like, they brought down the shields and they like turned some yes. stuff was like attack that was like for defense outwards, inwards. Yes. And then, yep. and there were some spaceships, spider things. That came well, and I think our they, Android who watched did a lot of that himself. I mean, the things he was manipulating over there seemed to be turning the things and doing a lot of this stuff. So I yeah. think he was one of the key ones. And of course, if you're going to show us one, you'd show us one of the key ones, but there were ones all over the place that were causing all kinds of havoc, I think. But uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't show Android Android number 47 that all he's doing is standing in a closet because he's locked in during <laughs> during the whole thing. You know, it's like, it's like, well, I didn't get to participate, but focus on my story. That's what Jim and I would write is the story of Android 47 and no one would tune in. Maybe we could make it a short trek or something, but we couldn't actually have it in that episode. <laughs> Bob, what did, what did you think about this whole thing with the androids going nuts and or this one Android going nuts or whatever it was. Yeah, I got the impression there was multiple of those humanoid-like droids. Yeah. Androids that definitely didn't, he definitely was no data. He was admittedly a bit creepy. Right. Um, that was probably on purpose. But yeah, there was definitely a, you know, I don't know you call racism, but the humans certainly didn't really think of him as one of them. Right. It was kind of a machine, really. Well, it's kind of sad because what we know of Next Generation, um, The Major of the Man, which was a f second season episode, I'm pretty sure, that uh, had uh, Data go on trial as, as, as is he an individual, is he like a toaster, or is he where we can do whatever we want to it? Or is he an individual where we have to give him the same rights and things that other people have? It's a great, great episode. Probably the, one of the greatest early episodes that there was. Um, and some of the dialogue in there is just insane on that episode. But what they established in that episode is essentially that he does, con even though he's by himself, he still constitutes a, a race or can be a race or going to be a race. So we have to give him respect and all that sort of thing. Whereas it looks like over the course of time until Picard, that goes by the wayside and they uh, start uh, creating these androids as essentially their, uh, 
slaves or workers and that sort of thing and don't give them, I guess the way they justify it is by not giving them the autonomy of thought and things that uh, data has. And so they're lesser, but is it still okay to treat them well, I mean, there's that there's that line, you know, I mean, right I know, now, right? we got all sorts of robotics and things like that. If you build some kind of a robotic thing that they can do some certain AI stuff. Is, has it become a, a, a life form? Has it become some, you know, something that has rights or is it just a piece of machinery that you built that has has, you know, being able to do some AI type of, of thinking. And, and so that was kind of what I thought. Well, and today. does Tony Stark's uh, Iron Man outfit by itself without him in the outfit, does that deserve some sort of treatment as a, as an individual or something? And I think that yeah. you would say, no, that is more of a toaster. That is more of an own piece of piece of so machinery. But at what point, I yeah. guess, leaping over into the vision, maybe, uh, what point does it become autonomous and become its own thing? And, and that's where vision is more of a individual, but where does data fall and where do these androids they created fall on that? I'm getting them because remember data was created by Nubian's son, right? Right. Yeah. And so he seemed like he's way, he was way more advanced than the Daystrom Institute. I, I get the feeling that they're, they haven't created a being that's up to the scale of data in terms of its, sentientness yeah that's that's what i was thinking that they they probably thought they were more you know tools that they've created more you know rob, robotic things that have some ai to be able to do basic functions and things like that and that they hadn't progressed past where they had independent thought and and you know and and all sentient abilities and things like that and so that's why they were surprised when all of a sudden these these machines that they had created all of a sudden now have sentient thought and attack them that they were surprised about it or they were hacked yeah or so yeah somebody somebody reprogrammed them gave them additional abilities or, or what see and this is why i'd like to have brent spiner here to represent data <laughs> and talk to us about what he thinks whether these folks should have had some sort of more rights or not had more rights or whatever but <laughs> we could not Spiner on this episode. We are sorry. We'll try and get him a future episode for sure. Yeah. yeah. We, call, we called his rep 47 times. How do I keep doing 47? 48 times. We called his rep 48 times yesterday and we did not get a return call. No, no, we didn't try and call him at all. We had Android 47 try and call him 47 times and from his closet that he was in. That's and right. we filmed it, but it became a boring episode. So because he could never get a hold of him. But hey, that's the way it goes. Uh, anyway, uh, in this episode, so episode one, episode two, I mean, let's just throw it over to Jim and just say, Jim, is there anything else you want to talk about about episode one uh, that, that stood out to you or anything or, what, or or the Picard series? I mean, you can't give anything away, but you can kind of sort of say what you thought of the first couple episodes. Yeah, I, I, I think one was good to, you know, see what Picard's been doing since, since Starfleet. You know, they start talking about, uh, some things that happen afterwards and, and stuff like that started getting, getting into it a little bit and they get into it a little more about all the different things that have gone on since, uh, since, you know, next generation was around. So that, that's good. And, and with the second, the second one, you know, they're, they're getting rolling and cause, cause a lot of the, the, the series, you know, is not Picard sitting back on earth. It's him going out 
and and doing stuff. And so now with with episode two, they're they're preparing for that. He's you know looking for a ship. He's wanting to get back into Starfleet, so they'll give him the ship and and uh, you know going starting to look for the twin of uh, Doge Doji Doge Doggy Jay. <laughs> you ever you ever notice that with I'm glad they killed her because we can't figure out her name anyway. So. You ever notice that there's there's like the, the Doge coin that that kind of like Bitcoin the, the the cryptocurrency Doge coin it's got a picture of a dog on it right uh-huh. that's supposed to be Doge or is that supposed to be Doggy maybe it's Doggy because it seems to me it's really if it's got a picture of a dog on it and you got D O G E that's like Doggy uh-huh. and to me it's like Doggy coin not Doge coin I, I don't know. Oh. Anyway, completely that was really interesting. Thank you. Uh, oh, you're welcome. Uh, Let me go back to my closet. What's now. your daughter eating for breakfast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I, dovetailing on that, I will say this about that, that I don't think I played up last time is the it's so important when you're establishing a new series, or like in this case, you need to honor the past but start something new. We're originally going into this. You got to remember, we're thinking in our heads, okay, are we all of a sudden going to see that he's an admiral on a starship somewhere, right? And this is, that's where it starts. We have no idea what's happened to him in the time frame from when we last saw him until this point. And so they have to establish who he is, what's been going on, what's the adventure going to sort of be. And I think they really did a good job of it, of, of getting us to understand where Picard's head's at, what's going on. The fact that he's in kind of a retirement and yet being kind of pulled back into things. And I just I just think it was brilliant the way they did it. And I love the first scene with Data and Picard having a poker game together in the first episode. I thought that was a great way to kind of suck us in and, and get us to put us in a comfortable situation that we knew. And then you go into where Picard's at now after that. And um, I, I just, I, I love the whole thing. And I told Bob last time, I'll tell you, Jim, uh, I'm a huge Bing Crosby fan. So hearing the Bing Crosby song is the very first thing you hear as the first theme in the first episode. I do. It's just like, Oh my gosh, this is fantastic for me. Unfortunately, we never get that theme again. That actual song with Bing singing it. We get the song, but we don't have the, the vocal connected to it anymore after the first episode. But I'm just thankful on the first episode they gave us that. But I thought it was a great start to this whole thing, this first and the second. Now, as Jim will no doubt be telling us in the future, it does start to, to sag a little bit towards the middle end of this series, which is true of a lot of the Star Trek series as we've been going through them. But it has a really strong beginning of this and like most of the Star Trek series we've seen, has a really strong end, in my opinion. So it's just the, the middle that becomes a little dicier for a few episodes. But I don't even know if Bob will feel that at all. Bob's really gotten into it. Um, yeah, what did you think uh, overall, Bob, the, the second episode? Now, I know you were really excited about the first one. Well, obviously, you said that after the second, you watched the third, so you must have gotten into the second as well. But go ahead. Yeah, and now I'm trying to remember what the two end because they're watching them back to back. So I think the second one ends with him talking to to Rizzo. Yeah, yeah. And he wants to get the ship, and he then she doesn't. That they also have a little back history of those two. What went on with those two? Right. That, that when he was looking for South for Sandy, and 
<laughs> He's giving us grease humor, and it's, uh, was, it's failing entirely. I was, I was actually Danny was busy at the time and uh, dancing and. Uh, Right. Last summer or something. I don't know. They were talking about this summer. Summer loving had me the blast. Summer loving happened. Well, now we just lost all the viewers. Yes. Look, look at that viewer count go down now. <laughs> I've never seen a, it go negative. There's before. still one listener out there. Thank you, listener, who likes Greece. And he's at the intersection of Greece and Next Generation. That is a small intersection. Uh, well, I was talking more about your singing. Was yeah. Driving them away. But. <laughs> Bah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I think that I think that was the end of that where where he, where he goes and tries to get the ship. Yes, well, I think that I, was the well. A couple other things I liked about it. Actually, when I think Rizzo, I think Muppets, but um, not Greece. But sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> side. Uh, it was interesting to see him get rejected too. You think he's good? I thought he was just going to walk into Starfleet. We'll also find out he's it, he, he's terminally ill. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was going to walk into Starfleet and they were just going to give him a ship. But Well, they played it up that way, kind of. It, it was an interesting written scene. It was like, oh, Captain McCarr, well, yeah, we respect you and you are this legend and blah, 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 and we'll do whatever we... Oh, we can't give you a ship. Oh, no, we're not doing that. So it's like, well, it that's, sounds like what he they would actually do something for him, but no, they don't. But go ahead. Well, it's because what he did with the the Romulans, right? Right. You, you yeah. know, he disobeyed the yep. the orders with the Romulans, and so you know, they it's that fine line where it's like, okay, he's a decorated uh, admiral and stuff like that, but at the same time, he's somebody that that basically decided he knew what was best and went against our orders, and right. and so you know, they <laughs> they don't want to completely destroy him because of his history, but at the same time, they're not going to do anything for him. This that's kind of what you expect because it's John Luke. Yeah. yeah. It's well, get except the fact that, that you kind of are thinking if they're fans of history at all, they'd they would be like, okay, this dude has saved our bacon so many times and he says this is a big thing. So you know, just in case to hedge our bets, we should give him like this little ship or something that he can because you don't know. I mean, uh historically you've had all kinds of issues where he's saved the universe essentially. So, so I mean, well, you can at least take it more serious, you know, yeah. it's like, even if you're not going to give him a ship, it's like, okay, well, we need to start looking into this and see what, what's really going on here. Correct. But yeah. then we also find we have a, a mole in the, we have some corrupt Starfleet officers and security yeah. officers. Was he Romulan or, or Vulcan? That's what I kind of wonder. She's got to be Vulcan, I would think. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought she was Rana, but it didn't. They didn't really say exactly. No. Yeah, but I couldn't see. I couldn't see them having a Romulan head of. It was like she was like head of Starfleet security or something like that. I couldn't see him having a a Romulan as head of Starfleet security. I think we find out more about that later in the season. I want to say, but anyway, but uh, Bob. Um, Gosh, I had a question for you. I'm trying to remember what that question was about the where we are so far with this series. But anyway, can't remember. But uh, anything else stand out for either of you in the first two episodes that uh, we want to chat about? Well, there's. I mean, there's the whole. You know, we get to see a little bit about her her twin sister that's on the Borg cube in Romulan space, where they're kind of dissecting. My question about the Borg cube thing. We hadn't talked about that at all. Um, yeah. 
So as of the first two episodes, Bob, what do we know about the Borg so far? I mean, what's, what, what's happened? What's changed with the Borg? So I'm blurred into three. So they're, they got what's left of a Borg cube and they're reclaiming the, the end, the uh, species from the collective. Right. They I don't know if that all comes out. What's that? I think they called them the nameless or something. Or Yeah. yeah. And then she says the na- nameless is a name. <laughs> on it. Um, and, you know, Saj is, so Jay is having a, like an affair with a Romulan, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It turns out to be corrupt. That's what I recall. I might be slipping into three, too. Yeah, I think you're slipping into three a little bit there. Okay, it's okay. Uh, no, I was going to say what, what I find, uh, I don't know, seems to be a, a, a soft theme that they're not playing up too much, but is there, is this whole kind of rights who is a person and who's not i mean you've got these you've got two species essentially that they're dealt with in very different ways and and not given full rights of anything which is the borg that they've kind of reclaimed from the borg that those people that were borgified and now they're they still kind of are, but they're trying to fix them up and that sort of thing and have them not be. And then you've also got the androids that took over uh, the Mars station um, that were definitely treated as less than or different. And so it's just, how does that all relate? And uh, I, I just find that fertile ground for interesting uh, storytelling. And it's kind of interesting that they kind of play that in the background and they're, and they're they have these characters going through it, but it's less like Star Trek traditional where they say, oh, look, here's the social issue and we're going to get in this and, and clean it up by the end of this episode and move on. It's more like, here's our characters in the midst of this turmoil and all this stuff going on. And they're trying to figure out where their place is in this. And they're maybe not seeing the big picture yet. They're maybe just seeing their little corner of the world. And eventually we'll see as this series progresses as to if they ever realize the convolutedness of the whole thing. So, yeah, interesting. The other thing I'm still confused about, maybe you guys can clean this up for me, is is there more than two of those androids? It's like they want something out of, Ramza wants something out of Soje, mm-hmm. if I say it right. Sure. Like they want yeah. information, like there's more of them. Right. Yeah, they, they talk about the, the nest or something about the nest that you've come from, where, where the rest of you are or whatever. So it, it, it sounds like there are more. Or at least they think there are more. Yeah, more out there. They're trying to figure out where they came from. And, right. You mean the, the Dodge Android series that supposedly Data's daughter, more of those, right? Yeah, there's, there's more androids that are more sentient like that. Right. That, that, that they're trying to figure out where they came from so they can track them all down. Right. And we haven't seen them yet. So we don't know if they're all like just Dodge clone sort of things. They all look the same. We don't know if there's going to be, I mean, all we've seen is a female. Is there a male thing that we haven't seen yet? That's, that's the counterpart or whatever. We'll have to see as we go on, I guess. Yeah. Or, or, or what's, what's his name? The uh, David something or another from the, the Institute. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, the guy that's, I think it's Bruce, Bruce something. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever his name is. So, so that's, 
I think Picard is looking for him. Oh, no, you guys have named two versions of David, David and Bruce Banner. So uh, that's, that's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for the whole. At any given time, uh, he's got both of their names of the characters. So. <laughs> he's easy to spot, big green guy. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, yeah. So Picard is, thinks that, that these guys or that the, these, these two girls are somehow connected to him and his abilities because he seemed to be like the, the, the best person to be able to do that kind of thing. Dr. Bruce Maddox. Yeah. I looked it up. Only in one episode. That's interesting. Well, and it ties back to that episode I was talking about of uh, Major of the Man. He was in that episode of uh, the original Next Generation. So yeah, that I guess when you listen to people talk about this, they say if you're going to watch two episodes of Next Generation before you watch Picard, they should be Major of the Man and the one about Data's daughter where he uh, creates an android that is his daughter because Dodge looks a lot like um, his daughter looked in that Next Generation episode. Uh, anyway, so yeah. So check those out, people, if you haven't checked those out. And, uh, I wish I could tell you which season the other one is. I want to say season five-ish is where the Data's daughter episode is. Or I thought it was season 14, episode 37. There is no season 14. There is no episode 37. There's never been an episode 37 of any season of Star Trek ever. So there you go. Ha. Huh. That that's that's the secret, the secret uh episode. Very, very hard to find. You know, I, I had to go on the dark the dark web to find it. Why why do I invite Jim to our discussions? I don't know, but it works. <laughs> Anyway, everyone enjoy this episode. We will see you next time for episode three that we might have already talked a little bit about. We're not sure, but uh, we'll figure that out. So I hope you're enjoying Picard as much as Bob is, and and I did too. So yeah, it's, yeah, I'm 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 enjoying it. Enjoy it again. Yeah. Oh, very good. So we sh we shall see. And it's interesting going through these a second time to see how well they hold up as a second run through because you already know where it's going and that sort of thing. All of them so far, I think, hold up pretty well. I don't think we've had where we've gone through a season and said, oh, it's way worse than I remember. Almost every time it's like better or at least as good as we remember. Yeah, yeah, it was enjoyable to watch. I mean, it's, you know, it's been, what, a year? Yeah, a little two, year and a half. However long since they came out originally. So, you know, and so it was good to, to watch them again and, and enjoyable even watching them a second time when I knew, you know, what, what was going to be happening. Well, it sounds like Picard might be the next series when we eventually get another star trek series because of covid and everything sounds like picard's going to be one of the earlier ones i don't honestly don't know whether it's going to be picard or discovery or strange new worlds it's going to be one of those three of course but they haven't really announced but it sounds like they're shooting they're definitely right now shooting strange new worlds um with picard, with uh, captain pike and, and their crew but i think Picard might already have been shot. I'm not sure. And or and or Discovery season four. So who knows? About, about Lower Decks. Are they gonna do another one of those? Which one? Lower, Lower Decks. Decks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lower Decks might be the first one out, actually, because it's the easiest one to do. And I think, yeah, I think they've already done the second season, at least the voice acting and all that stuff, I think. I don't know. Yeah, because that that they could do all remote. That wouldn't be a Correct. problem at all. Well, they did the they did the first season almost. They did during COVID. I mean, I think they had like three or four episodes pre-COVID, and all the rest of them were post-COVID and had to do them in isolation and that sort of thing. But 
it worked well. So yeah, so we, yeah, we're definitely going to get that as well. So we'll see. And and Prodigy, Star Trek Prodigy comes out very soon. That's all done and things. So I don't know when that's going to show up. Anyway, enjoy uh, Star Trek, all you fans out there, and watch some Star Trek. And uh, join us next time for more of our talking of Star Trek. Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton. I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, a former Starfleet officer, and your host of The Ready Room, the official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. This week, we'll be talking about everything that went down in the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, Maps and Legends. So if you haven't seen the episode yet and you want to avoid spoilers, now is a very good time to go catch up. Today, we are talking to a very special guest. Executive producer Akiva Goldsman is here. He has the scoop on Star Trek Picard Episode 2. And a little later, we will be showing you an exclusive clip for next week's episode, which is number three. Very good. But first, I really need to know more about that awesome Borg Cube artifact. What is up with that? Let us find out by diving into the magical world of pre-made video packages. Control room, engage. Star Trek adversaries go, I think the Borg are amongst the very highest. The Borg we all know and love, you know, it's futile to resist. They're still out there. Those aren't the Borg we see in this series. The Borg that we see in this series are the remnant of a destroyed Borg cube. Well, right now we're seeing the Borg kind of deconstructed from the last time we saw them. We're on the artifact, so it is no longer connected to the collective. They've been severed from the collective. They're broken Borg. They're Borg who are, the ones that we encounter for the most part are Borg who have had their implants removed, who have been restored to some kind of semblance of their previous um, form whatever that might have been, whatever species they may have belonged to, and um, they're damaged, they're, they're, they're lost. So this Borg cube landed in Romulan space. It was quarantined and became a science outpost, uh, a research station, as if you had discovered a prehistoric monster underneath the ground and everybody from all countries were gathering to study it. Uh, so is this Borg cube floating in Romulan space and Federation, non-Federation scientists come to work on it under tremendously strict protocols. They've brought in other people to kind of oversee the entire operation and Soji is there as kind of a therapist for these Borg to give them new meaning of life. Their very valuable tech, the Borg tech that's been embedded in their bodies is uh, routinely harvested, as the Romulans call it, and exploited for profit. And the Borg themselves, the ex-Borg themselves, the Romulans don't really care what happens to them. These Borg are given a new culture and a new way of living. I'm very lucky to be sitting down with Star Trek Picard's executive producer, director, and overall hyphenate, Akiva Goldsman. Um, uh, I told you this off camera. I will tell it to the audience. I'll say this to you in front of everyone. I freaking love this show. And uh, one of the things I am so so excited about is the Borg. They're just as terrifying, but maybe not as dangerous? Mm. Mm, yeah, I, you know, Borg uh, and the Borg's presence 
in the series was uh, a little bit of um, a conversation. You know, it was something that actually Patrick wanted us to be very cautious of. He felt that he had run and that Picard had run that, that course in the character arc. Yes. So if we were going to bring them back, we wanted to do it in a way that was significantly different. Um, and, and there's another side to this, too, which is, you know, the Borg are also victims. Yes. You know, and, um, you know, nobody woke up going, you know, today I will be assimilated. That was probably not right. any, on anybody's, you know, daily planner headlines. So I, I think that part of, you know, my partner, Michael Shabon, will talk a lot about the, the original series, which is for Michael and I, sort of our introduction to Star Trek. We are both of a certain age. Mm -hmm. uh, my first Star Trek convention was 1976. Cool. Yes, terrifying and true. I have it with me. Now, Michael just gave me this, actually. No way! Yeah, true, true. Isn't that funny? Like, coincidence. It's a patch from the, that Star Trek convention. Uh, let's get a shot of this. That's amazing. I love that you have gonna, this. Next time I see you, I'll bring you in. I have the original uh, program, which was hand-typed. Oh, of uh, course it was. And mimeographed. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, you know, then it was the Cold War, right? And we were all living on, on, on the verge of nuclear Armageddon. Yeah. Um, you know, the Armageddon that's coming today seems to be uh, sadly and profoundly uh, uh, driven from our inab inability to see with empathetic eyes. You yes. know, we're just, we're so obsessed with the differences between people. We're so fixated on how the other is a threat. It's as if right. empathy has gone off. It's like somebody snuck up at night and turned it off culturally. So part of what we're trying to do in this season uh, of uh, Picard, true to your Star Trek and all of our Star Treks, is to, to speak to contemporary problems uh -huh. through science fiction. And um, so the Borg are uh, alienated forgive me, yeah. um, as are other populations in this season. And our hope is to be able to see them in a different light so that we can start to see the other not as the other, but with commonality. Star Trek has always done that. Star Trek has always, and it's, I, I think it goes back to Gene Roddenberry's fundamental philosophy that there are no evil yeah. people, there are misguided people. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people who, whose interests are counter to ours and Star Trek is about finding our ways around those obstacles. Well, in, uh, in Star Trek Picard, we have uh, another uh, entire class of, uh, of creatures um, who I think might be viewed as victims. We see them as aggressors. I'm talking about the synths that just tear apart Mars and destroy the shipyards. And that sequence is so intense and, uh, and, and so disturbing to see these creatures who look like Data, who we love, and they're just murdering everything. Uh, why was it important to get that out as graphically as you did, as early on in the series as you did? Well, um, I think that your supposition and Gene Roddenberry's supposition that there is, if not no, very, very little true evil for evil's sake is probably quite accurate. I yeah. think that nobody thinks they're evil, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and yet, um, terrible atrocities are committed. And something that is sort of different in serialized Star Trek, um, and I think sort of uh, 
what I'll call postmodern Star Trek, post actual Roddenberry influence on a daily basis, um, is that we do reach for more conflict. Uh, in order to resolve it. I think you guys sort of got there too as the series went on. Yeah. You know, and, and I think for us, you know, we need a couple of things for good storytelling, um, which is, uh, you know, catastrophe. Of course. Uh, violence. Uh, you know, our show, really the first three episodes of the first act, you know, yeah. so you really, the pilot is really the first three episodes. Um, yeah. And uh, so in that sense, we want something that propels you emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, we also uh, want to begin to set up a proposition that will uh, create a set of ideas in, in your mind, uh, a, which will be, to some extent, our, we will hope to exploit your biases. We will hope to exploit your uh, a priori assumptions so we can reverse them. Later. So you're taking advantage yes. of our love for data yes. and using it against us. Yes. Well yes. done. Thank you. Well Thank you. played. Yes. An uh, excellent exploitation of 20 years of data love. Yay. Um, in, uh, I have to tell you, just as a member of Star Trek, opening the series on the Enterprise D and then going into 10 forward, that is, you have taken advantage of the reality that 20 years have gone by since we were doing this every week yeah. well, and built that into your backstory. Well, so, you know, I think it was really important to Patrick and to us that, you know, in the, we're in the era of Logan, right? We're in the era of, again, a postmodern sort of reinterpretation of an iconic character, but not revisionist, right? Like right. that, like, what do you do to honor the character, but also honor the truth of 20 years, 20 years on screen, 20 years off screen, you know? Even 20 years on, what will have abided? What are the loves and what are the losses that still resonate, yeah. right? And, and, and then what happened interstitially in order to sort of make this soup of a life? And, um, you know, data is a huge part of that. The enterprise is a huge part of that. And 10 Forward is a huge part of that. You know, this yeah. sort of moment, this place of coming together. Right? Yeah. And also, it was the first time that we got to see. Uh, Brent and Patrick working together. Oh, that must have been amazing. Well, I mean, of course, what we didn't know is how much they adore each other, yeah. right? So that was sort of like, and it was still early days for us. Uh -huh. it was, we shot it very quickly, sort of right up front. And uh, yeah, it was sort of one of those moments where we all were pinching ourselves and um, uh, it, it was extraordinary. When, uh, when Frakes got to be an actor on the show, uh, I texted him and I said, I just, is it as great as I think it is? And he said, it's like a day has not passed. And he said that he loved how relaxed Patrick is and how much fun he is having. And that seems to be, in, that seems to be informing his character choices. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, we wanted, Patrick didn't want to play Picard as we last saw him because it's 20 years ago. So he wanted that character be, to be informed by a life lived longer, real losses, uh, plans gone awry, all the things that happen, right? Yeah. And also, what are the frontiers for somebody at that phase of life? This is something we don't typically see, certainly in television. He seems very haunted by Data's death. Yeah. It just seems like something that he relives every day. Yeah, and I, I think I think it is, you know, and that when we were talking about what, what, what carries over 20 years or decades, you know, if you feel that someone died in your place, and someone who you loved, that's a haunting, you yeah. know? And, and those ghosts don't go away. You can hide from them. Um, but I think given the chance to 
come to terms with them, there's good story. Do you think Picard feels like he needs to earn Data's sacrifice? I think Picard feels ashamed of oh. Data's sacrifice. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. All right, let's let that sit for a second. Okay. That's a lot, wow. Um, all right, well, speaking of things that are intense, yeah. we find out uh, in this episode that Picard has a terminal illness. We do. Uh, the, the clock is really ticking for him. I imagine that this is going to unfold over the rest of the season. Is there anything you want to share with us about that? No, I mean, I, I think that we want to have a conversation in the storytelling about the things that folks feel at the twilight of their life. Okay. And I think the idea of impending death uh, is unavoidable. And, you know, I think that sometimes what's great about science fiction and Star Trek in particular is we can use metaphor to sort of represent more common conditions, right? And, and so this idea of this mysterious illness that will take you out, right? Like, it's a thing you can say, it's probably true of all of us. I mean, any of us could have a mysterious illness that could sure. take us out, right? right. Um, but it's a way of framing a, a character in a kind of sci-fi context that's also quite resonant, I think. Um, he carries himself with the knowledge that he is Jean-Luc Picard. And we are seeing a man who is super vulnerable. I uh, have a meeting with the CNC. I have an appointment. Of course, sir. May I have your name, please, sir? Oh, um, Picard. P-I-C-A-R-D, Jean-Luc. Ah, it's nice to see you up and around, Admiral. Welcome back. You know, who we are in our imaginations, our, our, the mirror we hold up to ourselves in our imaginations, doesn't change the way the world changes as a mirror, right? So we, are, we still suffer the losses and the triumphs in a very active way that are personal, and we wear them. Most people are not aware of them at all, don't think about them, right, and don't think about us that way. So we live in a kind of present that squishes all our existence together. People are just seeing us today, you know what I mean? Of and course. so that is sort of a fun thing to do with that character. He has so much history. We, too, bring all that with him. We bring to Picard almost as much history as we bring to ourselves, yeah. you know, which is a rare and sort of unique opportunity in storytelling. But the people around him don't. They didn't watch Next Gen. So now, the people around him now are Romulans. Uh, and that's really interesting, because Romulans have always been the enemy of the Federation. Yes. Uh, we've had, uh, in, in my Star Trek, we had a tense uh, kind of ceasefire yes. with them that was always threatening to blow up. Yes. Uh, it turns out that it kind of did fall apart, uh, and it seems like it fell apart because the Federation sort of abandoned the Romulans, yeah. Yeah. which is such an anti-Starfleet thing to do. And it's such a bold choice. And it connects the Star Trek 2009 timeline to the Next Generation timeline. That is so clearly a deliberate choice. I'm so curious to know what went into making, the, making that decision. Well, I, I think it is not hard for a lot of people, myself included, to see our geopolitical circumstances compromised as fractious as uh, 
not enlightened. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also then interesting to see the choices that went into creating the world that we live in today. And, you know, all those choices have a kind of articulatable reason behind them. And I think that Clancy, the CNC of Starfleet and ours, could articulate why leaving the Romulans behind was what the, the Federation had to do to preserve itself. That uh -huh. it was overextended, that then there's this, this terrorist attack happened. I mean, now these are things that, you know, are resonant from our own lives. Of course. And so I think that what we wanted to do was sort of present a complex, I, I don't want to go so far as to say compromised, because mm -hmm. um, I think that's a question of opinion, mm -hmm. but I think of a, a, of a complex Starfleet uh, and a complex federation that are managing the needs of a, a, you know, a lot of member worlds who have different opinions of how redeemable the Romulans were, they were our enemies for such a long time, how far do we go to help them? All those things seem to be alive today culturally mm -hmm. and therefore alive potentially as story. Um, we got to meet an old friend of Picard's in Rafi and Michelle Hurd is just brilliant in it. And I love that she lives at Vasquez Rocks. That's perfect. Uh, I loved that. <laughs> It's so yeah, fun we, when we come up. We did and it on it just, yeah, yeah, I figured. Yeah. I figured that you did. Yeah. Um, they have such a complex relationship, and uh, one of the things that I will be talking about a lot during this season of Ready Room, um, so much is done with a look. Mm. So much story is told with a hand on a hip. Like there's just these these characters are telling us everything we need to know about them in one move. And when she comes out and sees him, we just know 100% what's going to happen before it happens. Is there anything you want to share with us about their history? Will, will we is it going to be explicitly touched on in 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 the in the season? Yeah, there's more to come. And um, you know, we were very lucky. Uh, we have great actors who know how to help expand their roles. Um, they know how to work together. And what we did is, look, in your show, like the original series, you got to, had to jump genres. Or you jump around within sci-fi. Mm -hmm. You do sci-fi action. You do sci-fi meditation. You do drama. You do romance. You do speculative fiction. You do comedy. Same with TOS. Um, we're not... We are not afforded that opportunity, nor is it our outcome goal. For us, because we're serialized, it's almost like each season is an episode. Mm -hmm. So our tone is sci-fi drama. Mm -hmm. You know, Discovery is sci-fi action adventure. Going to be a lot of things blowing up. Yep. You know, Less things blow up in our show. Our show is more performance-based. We like to, to be writing-based. We want people to play scenes that you would expect to see in a drama, but the context being otherworldly or modern and speculative. When I watch this, I feel like we are clearly, Picard is clearly standing on the shoulders of Next Generation as we stood on the shoulders of the original series, um, but it's not derivative and it's not a reboot and uh, it clearly exists in a world where Firefly exists, where Battlestar Galactica exists, where Discovery exists. You have chosen a very different visual style yes. than 
Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. It has an intensity yeah. Yeah. that I feel like we would have for beats, yes. but never for yes. an entire thing. You know, and there are tricks to it, which is like, you'll notice that the camera will miss things sometimes. That's sort of on purpose, you yeah. know what I mean? Or that, you know, you'll you'll see the move as a sort of catching up to her. Like, those are sort of tricks that good DPs know how to do. It's really just about an application of a style. You sort of say to, you know, your cinematographer, you know, let's be more naturalistic. And yeah. it's a, there's just a sort of a bunch of sort of pieces of grammar that do that. But we, we think it's, it's exciting to see Star Trek that way. Uh, listen, I mean, just for what it's worth, as somebody who's in the audience, uh, who is invested in it, um, I'm loving it. It's great. Uh, I think it. I think it is terrific. Thank you oh my God, so much for your time so today, and thank you for your contributions to Star Trek. Thank you. Awesome. Bye. The Borg made their first appearance in which episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation? Was it A. I Borg, B. The Best of Both Worlds, C. The Battle, or D. Q Who? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. When I was working on Star Trek The Next Generation, I was just a boring old humanoid. I never got to put on full alien makeup. So I don't really know exactly what goes into making all those pointy ears and wrinkled foreheads and mysterious eyebrows. But lucky for us, we have the creature and makeup designers from Star Trek Picard to walk us through how they brought the Romulans back. Check it out. The Romulans, man, they were tricky because they needed to be as realistic as possible. When you look at past Romulans, they evolved and morphed and changed through time. So you kind of have that liberty to also morph and change things a bit. But there's a canon and an expectation with respects to foreheads, shapes, and ears, and eyebrows that you just cannot mess with. And as you start to play with ear length and eyebrows, it gets elfin very quickly. And you're looking at the design going, what is happening here? And how do I how do I wrangle this thing so it feels like a Romulan? Where it landed was very mindful, nuanced shapes of the forehead. So when I come up with the design of the shape of the Romulans, I give those to Vincent Van Dyke, and that's the direction that we've all agreed is the bright way to go for our Romulans. He and his team then do variations on a theme based on the specific actors that's going to be wearing the prosthetics. With uh, the Romulans, we had two different versions. We had some that had full foreheads that were full silicone prosthetic foreheads. And then we had some that were going to be much more human, but we still needed to change their brow direction. We still need to give them that classic Romulan brow. So with those, we had uh, what we call brow transfers. Uh, and those are a transfer piece that will go on almost like a sticker over the person's eyebrow, and that will get glued down, the edges will get blended, and then it'll get painted into their skin tone, and that will look like they have a new brow that's completely replacing their, their old brow. In the past, you would have eyebrows that you just kind of glue on, and now you're taking individual eyebrow hairs, one at a time, for every single prosthetic. So it's a, it's a much more tedious, complex approach, and this all comes down to HD cameras. You will see absolutely everything. Every single background performer, all the way to the foreground hero characters, have lace brows. So anytime you're looking at a Romulan on screen, none of them are their own brows. They all have these brand new lace brows that are you know, giving them this uh, very unique, identifiable look. So with uh, a lace brow, you take your piece of lace and put it over a template. Every square of that lace, you would be taking a little needle that has a hook on it and taking an individual hair, looping it through that lace and tying a small little knot 
and that knot would basically be the root of your hair, if you will. So every single square with every hair has got to be kind of mapped out to make sure that the direction and flow of that hair makes sense when it's tied into that final brow. Working with Vincent Van Dyke, what really needed to happen was just the utmost precision in the prosthetic because of where it terminates, you know, where this brow piece has to stop. I think the most challenging part of Picard for us was just the, the magnitude of prosthetics. When you have a day where there's 30 plus Romulan playing, that amount of prosthetics to go out uh, was, I think, the biggest challenge for us. There's a point when design has to stop it has nothing to do with me, and now it's all about the execution, which they did an exceptional job. I didn't know Romulans could be so hot. The Borg made their first appearance in which episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? And the answer is D, Q Who. The Sinister Collective made their television debut in Season 2, Episode 16, in May of 1989. The next episode of Star Trek Picard may not drop until February 6th, but we do have something that might tide you over just a little bit until then. An exclusive clip from Episode 3, The End is the Beginning. Enjoy. Say, Dr. Rasha, your work here has always been excellent, but speaking to a nameless in his own language, outstanding. Thank you so much for joining me today in the Ready Room. I will be back next week to dive head first into episode three of Star Trek Picard. Until then, will we live long and prosper?